Hello, and welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. I'm Gorsha Huchua, and on today's episode, my friend Alex McNamara and I will dive into the convoluted and highly controversial process of agency pitches. Having spent significant time on both the agency and brand sides, we wanted to share our impressions and give advice to brands looking for agencies, as well as to agencies that are pitching for new business. We hope that you'll find this topic interesting and useful. So enjoy the show. Hello, Alex. How are you? I am doing very well, thank you. Very well. It's been a busy week, but I'm excited to chat with you today about this topic. I'm excited to chat about uh, any topic with you on any day, um, <laughs> but I'm glad that for you, uh, the feeling is only about this topic. So It's nice just to this topic. It's just today. Nice it's to see just... you too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that we're on the same wavelength with our conversation juice, which is a non-alcoholic hoplark, uh, citra hops, craft citra hops, hoplark water. It's uh, by pure coincidence, Gorsha copied me and started subscribing to the hoplark pack. Uh, I wish I had a code to give out, but I don't because I'm not sponsored. Hashtag not spun. Uh, and it's delicious. <laughs> craft brewed water with citra hops from Colorado. Big, yeah, big is. fan. Yeah, me too. It's 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 delicious and it doesn't have caffeine along with zero alcohol. So, yeah, um, good zero good ca- stuff. zero calories as well. Zero calories. Um, everything is zero except for the taste. Um, Alex, I wanted to ask you this kind of question before we dive into our topic. Can you name um, another? So, can you name a product or service um, transaction where you spent a ton of you know where a ton of money is involved? But you as the vendor, as someone who sells the thing, gives away the product for free up front and then hope that someone pays you for it um, later. So so I give away what I'm selling for right. free. Correct. In the hopes that they see what I give them and they then pay for it. Correct. And there's no guarantee that I get paid for it afterwards. That is correct. So okay. give me an example uh, of something like that outside of advertising. Out, outside of advertising. Um, I can't think of a single thing where someone will willingly give away what they, what they need to make money from or make money on right. for free. Yes. Yeah, which is, which is kind of nuts that in this multi-billion dollar world of advertising this is exactly what happens and it happens during a pitch process and something that you and i have been wanting to really dissect and talk about for some time now and it's a big Mm -hmm. enough topic that we never could squeeze it into one of our weekly ad talks we're devoting this one to it and we're doing this because um you shared an article with me about the agency pitch process and how flawed it is um and all of the things that go into it. And basically what we want to do, you and I, is really just take this idea of a pitch when the brand puts up its um, its account for pitch and just talk through it. Uh, because yep. really what ends up happening is that the agency comes along with all its shiny toys, all the bells and whistles, and literally just gives it all away and then says, please like me and then pay me for it. <laughs> but it says confidential and do not share at the bottom of the page, though. So therefore, they can't remember any of the 
if they lose they can't remember any of the tactics and not allowed to use that ever again so it's there like, is there is that and i'm sure that's a very effective way of of retaining that valuable ip yeah i think i think at the end of each pitch uh, they use like one of those men in black type of devices where they just wipe <laughs> your memory right um i think that's what yep. happens at least my memory yeah. my memory of all the pitches has been wiped uh although maybe maybe for different reasons <laughs> maybe, um, maybe but, through different ways as well <laughs> different ways but you and i have been on both sides of this equation of this uh of this dance so um i think we're in a good position to to discuss this and uh maybe we can start yeah. by just um defining first of Let's all what a pitch dance. is i mean there's 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 different types of pitches so do you want to give us a couple of different definitions of an agency yeah. pitch yeah and i'll go i'll go very very layman's terms the pitch is when someone has a i mean let's go marketing because we're a marketing podcast i guess uh they need help with their branding or create branding or design or creative development or media strategy and i think those those are the ones we're probably going to cover the most of in this discussion um we've got two two kind of different ones it's like the big aor pitch the agency of record pitch and then you have more of a project-based pitch so agency of record means you're basically committed the brand is basically looking for a an agency to do all of the work within that category so all of the work for creative development um for multi years across all of their products uh or media across all of their brands and do all the media nationally or globally and it's usually millions and millions and millions of of currency and even billions of currency at at certain levels you know i think disney went into pitch last year you know i'm sure there's like a you know like a walmart or a target or sony for example like the big thing the biggest brands you can think of and they are finding one partner to do all of the work for them so they're spending you know through them billions or hundreds of millions of dollars and then you have the more project base which is like you know anything from a couple thousand in media spend or production to tens of thousands hundreds of thousands you know low millions tens of millions and it's usually focused on like one campaign or a specific brand for multiple years and it's much lower you're part of a wider you know engine you're a cog in the wheel um it's less pressure uh to make a singular decision that's going to impact for multiple multiple years um so those um, are the two ends of the spectrum and just i think for our for our (laughs) listeners you know agencies get paid uh in several ways uh and it depends on the kind of work that you do if you're a creative agency you usually um charge um on a retainer right fte's so it's like basically how many people you retain um at your disposal and so if you're a large account like i think the largest advertiser globally has been for a while png procter and gamble um but you have the disney's again you mentioned those um you know the big ones um they might have huge huge teams devoted to them and so you're paying for the for those people's time and it's usually a multiplier that's attached to it so if someone is making you know seventy five thousand dollars in salary or a hundred thousand usually the agency multiplies that several times to recoup all of the Additional yeah, because they got to make they got to make money to keep the lights on and literally like pay the rent, and then they got to make the profit to pay the owners or the shareholders. 
So there's always exactly. that multiplier. And and then and then, then there is the other model, which is usually deploy, uh, employed by media agencies, which is um, a percent of media spend. So again, if you're a PNG and you're spending a billion dollars globally in media buying, uh, an agency will take some some percent of that. And again, uh, that covers all of the human costs and um, uh, you know, infrastructure that's involved in increasing it. There's more infrastructure because of technology. So, um, and then there's and then there's kind of hybrid models, right? Um, that, that's yeah. it in between. And without getting too tactical, but this is one thing that I learned having straddled both sides of media and creative is, is media is more based on commission because you can increase media spend very quickly, and therefore that's where you can make the make you make the money because you also then need to bring up the staff uh very yep. fast whereas on the creative side it's much uh less likely you get increases in spend or the scope changes wildly so you don't you know don't get an influx of hey we have two million dollars to spend by the end of the month can you spend it um it's more like hey we need to add an additional thing and the increments are very small so you make the money on the, the hours that people spend doing the work uh, and i think that's the interesting and distinction, important yeah. distinction yeah, and, and, and in general, clients, you know, historically, they've, they've looked to agencies because they themselves don't have the know-how and the kind of um, the deep bench to do these types of things. Um, I think increasingly also it's been um, to kind of get fractional talent. So you may not need 100% of someone all the time, but you may, you may need them from time to time or some, some percent of that person. So agencies usually kind of carve up people's times between clients. And so that's another one that one of those things that kind of on paper starts making sense um, for especially brands that spend probably in the low tens of millions. Mm -hmm. um, they get kind of the efficiencies of what the agencies have to offer. So those are kind of like the fundamentals, um, how agencies get paid, how um, how that and that's works. A whole new, that's a whole other episode we can do with the client agency relationship. I think we should probably do that, but we're going to yeah. focus on the pre-relationship pitch process correct so correct. let's go um, how kick us off well yeah we have a, we have a few topics to cover and i think i think what when we were looking at this we were thinking about how can we break this down um to really understand the intention and the action behind or the action that comes from that like what are we trying to do what are we trying to achieve how are we how do we want to get there and then like what are the things that do um, that you can do well and what are the things you can do badly because I think especially in this process um, there are a lot of things you can do badly really easily um, and there are things you can do well and it's a lot more effort to do on both sides so we were kind of looking at like um, when you're as a brand when you're looking for an agency what are you looking for and how do you evaluate it we want to talk about the brief or the RFP um, when you're briefing the agency and sort of like the good ones and the bad ones. And then I think this is really important because it's becoming more and more prevalent, middle people like uh, intermediaries and procurement and what they're supposed to do, what they actually do, and then what happens, especially in procurement with negotiations um, and their level of understanding of what we're doing. Um, so I think we can start, I think we start at like, what are you looking for? And how do we evaluate it? I think this is a, a really interesting way, like right up front. How do you yeah, so go into so this and so and understand like what you're trying to get? So if uh, if if I'm a brand, tell me what should what should I be looking for in the pitch process to prepare myself for kind of evaluating this uh, this whole thing correctly? So I think 
what you're not looking for is the easier way to go about it is what you're not looking for at the end of it because remember we're not we're not paying the agencies to to give you this work is you're not looking for a final product that you can then take as is and implement you're not looking for a final media plan you're not looking for a final creative concept that you can give to a production house and have them make it you're looking at the agency's way of thinking how are they approaching the problems how are they thinking about strategy what is their way of developing a good solid strategy um then how do they take that and how do they come up with the you know their creative concepts you know we're we're in pitch land here and there's no bad idea and there's no idea that costs too much because budgets are you know unlimited what you're looking to evaluate is did they understand my brief did they understand my ask how are they thinking about my feedback when i give it to them over the tissue sessions and the and the meetings that you get every engagement is a way to to build that relationship so you're thinking about how are they how are we working together mm-hmm. and those i've mentioned the brief and working together because we'll come on to those in more detail and the next two two topics but you're really coming to um an understanding because at the end of the day you could get to the end of the process and you could not like the work or the work doesn't fly with a ceo but what you've built together is an understanding of how do they work how do they get to that endpoint? do i like working with them do i like the people and how they think because at the end of the day that's that's the relationship you're going to have for a year or three years um and working together in some pretty intense situations so you're not looking for the final answer you're looking for the working out if i go back to my math teacher so uh you mentioned this um you're not looking to um get a specific problem that you're working on resolved in the pitch process you're looking for a way of thinking you're looking for a way uh that the agency works to collaborate with you um i guess there's a couple of questions i want to ask around that one is why wouldn't you um, present a real current problem or challenge rather than a hypothetical one? And having been, both of us have been on kind of the receiving end of this when on the agency side, when you are receiving this kind of very real request, as an agency, should you um, give your best and fullest thinking and set aside the fears that you might be um, are you know giving away uh, essentially the work that a client should be paying for I, I mean that's a that's a bigger existential question that the industry has to look at itself and think should we be giving away all of the all of our thinking that you know agencies get paid millions of dollars for um but i think i think as an agency you should not be worried you should not be scared of giving away your best thinking because at the end of the day you have to play within within the rules that we've created and that is if you don't give that someone else is going to as stupid as that sounds someone else is going to so you really have to go in there thinking you'll you'll answer one problem um but there will be future problems to answer and you don't give those problems away for free if you're looking at like an aor type thing um and then i think um i've forgotten your first question but i'm gonna try and the, the first uh yeah the first question was as a brand why wouldn't you um give a real current problem uh for the agency to you should on? definitely give a real problem a hypothetical problem solves nothing uh you should mm-hmm. be giving them a real problem and the agency will come back with 
you know, the real problem answer and then additional ways to solve that problem that may not be in scope, that may not be in budget, but ways that you could or should be thinking about the problem and thinking about the answer. So I think if you're not going in there with a real problem, then you're wasting everyone's time. And uh, finally, before we sort of go into the next bit, um, kind of a clarifying question as well. Should you be transparent as a brand about how you're evaluating, like what it is that you're evaluating? Uh, because I feel like a lot of times the the, the urge, especially with inexperienced uh, brands or people, you know, like CMOs and brand marketers who are kind of running the pitch process is they're looking for the right answer rather than the things that you have described, which are, you know, thought process, chemistry, those types of things. And I think they're looking to see the unlock um, actually happen in of, of the actual challenge. Um, how how clear should you be in the in the in your approach to the agencies about the metrics on which you're charge, um, going to be evaluating this pitch? Uh, I think uh, you've, you've managed teams before, Gorsha. Would you go into a meeting and not give your team feedback when they have presented something that you're not 100% happy with and then hope that they figure it out and come back with a with a solution? I think that's kind of how people run pitches sometimes. They go in there, they listen they say nothing, they play poker, and they're like, well, I can't give anything away because if I give them something, they'll just latch onto that and then they'll and then they'll they'll take that and, and try and solve the problem that way. And like, right. well yeah, that's kind of the point. We're trying to what you're trying to figure out is can you work together? Can you share information? Can you guide them? And then can you get to the get to a, a good place? You know, you know, everyone would love to cut to the end of a pitch process with a with a, a media plan or a creative concept that you could take. But it's unlikely in like 99 times out of 100, you're not going to get it. But what you do get is is that understanding. So the more you collaborate and the more you share information on feedback, how you really think, what you're really trying to achieve, then like the real fundamentals of like you're hiring a team to solve a problem and they need to know enough in the pitch stage to have a crack at solving that problem. If you don't give them the information, they come back with a... A wrong direction you don't tell them and they keep going you're wasting you're wasting time you're wasting your own time you're wasting their time so i think the reason i ask this and everything you said is right um the reason i ask this is because i think um we've experienced um a couple of different things one is um have. in a pitch in a, in a pitch process where there are multiple t uh, people on the client side who are involved oftentimes there is not alignment on on how the evaluation will happen and so depending yeah. on the depending on the people representing the different groups uh, within the brand, uh, there is not a consistency in how they're approaching the evaluation. I think the important thing you're saying here is um, have that clarity with the agency. What I'm adding to this is have that clarity internally with your partners. Yes, um, that's, so yeah, that's, that's really important. Yeah, I think I think that's number one. And I think number two is there is this perception. I will get we'll get to the intermediaries um, because I think a lot of times they drive this. Unfortunately, um, to create a level playing field, um, there is a reluctance to share more information, um, and a lot of times for the agency to kind of do their best work in responding to your pitch request, they do want to have more information. I think it is the questions. Uh, that actually the questions that the agencies ask in this process that really illuminate what their thinking is. And a lot of times that gets squashed in the name of kind of neutrality and fairness, um, which I think in, in and of itself is a very 
inefficient way of uh, of dealing with um, with a pitch. So uh, I just wanted to kind of call that out, but I think we can move to the brief and RFP stage and get to the intermediaries afterwards. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, I think, um, and you said it very, very eloquently before we hit record, which was you only get out of it what you put into it. So you need to match the, the enthusiasm. You need to be um, available and proactive not proactive you need to be available and, and willing to meet the agency where they are so you're you're collaborating together um yeah. if you if you take a if you're taking a laid-back approach this is kind of like as part of the evaluation if you're taking a laid-back approach or you're playing poker you're not going to get a lot and you're probably not going to get the right answer or even something in the right answer um but yes moving to the brief slash rfp stage um I think this is really important because we've both received briefs that have been, uh, you kind of read through this 10 page document or 20 page document and it goes around and around. And then you've got like one stat over here that's, you know, X and you get at the same stat over here and it's Y. And then you have the objective and all the goal is this. And then another somewhere else, the goal is something else. And it's like, you can tell, four or five people from different departments you know from sales from growth from brand from you know product have all fed into this and one person is the pitch lead and what they've done is just combined all of the inputs together and haven't aligned on like and read through and be like does this make sense does this ask the question that we want does yeah does this ask the question that we want the answer for and we've both been on, you know, the, the receiving end of these and yeah. done the pitch and got the feedback, which is, this isn't what we want. And you go, well, that's what it says in the brief. And the client yes. says, well, that's, that's, you know, that's not what I wanted, though. You know, you've done, you've, you've done it wrong. And it's, you know, it's so important that you have a single owner drafting the brief that's really interrogating the objectives and the objectives of the people feeding into this because of course you can have multiple partners but one person has to own does this make sense so that what you're giving out into the world gets you to the right answer that you're expecting internally kind of tying back to your what's the evaluation criteria um what are we evaluating and what do we want to come back you know that's that's kind of like if you don't get that you're going to spend so much time and we've we've both also together been on the receiving end of this of multiple follow-ups, multiple ways of you know getting additional information, changing you know su- supplemental documents after the pitch because what we presented wasn't what they were looking for. Yeah, um, and and this probably separates um, you know for agencies this probably separates potentially good clients from clients that are going to be problematic problematic right because. When you receive a, um, a a brief or an RFP that's um, that's not aligned, that's disjointed, um, you know that the organization is uh, not aligned and is also disjointed. There is not one sort of um, thought leader on the marketing side that's kind of driving the overall agenda. Um, and so what you'll end up with is a lot of um, a lot of groups who pursue their own micro agendas um, that might not necessarily ladder up to a common goal of delivering um, a certain business result. So I think it's um, it's an incredibly incredibly important thing for uh, brand owners to um, think about before they go out and pitch and spend a ton of money on hiring an agency. And while I know it's tough for agencies to um, 
you know, walk away from um, pieces of business that uh, they they would like to pursue, um, having the wherewithal to to recognize that this might be a problematic account from the start, um, and maybe putting the appropriate lead in place to deal with that sort of thing. You know, someone someone yeah. who might be a little bit more um, forceful and not afraid to kind of wrangle consistency out of out of the client is also important. Yeah, I think I think the the best new business people. Uh, and the ones that I've worked with who have been the best are the ones who say, no, we're not doing that. It's going to, you know, and it, it yes, it's easy for us to say in, in hypothetical situations right now, don't take big pieces of business, but also, you know, you don't know that someone who's a CEO needs a piece of business, needs the money to keep the lights on. It's a different situation. But if you can say no to bad, bad pitches and bad pieces of business, because at the end of the day, it will drain your agency resources, and it's going to drain the 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 agency morale, and it won't be worth it. You'll have to replace the whole staff. Yeah, I think I think there's one thing that we need to add to this as well. Uh, yes. Obviously, at the end of the day, this is this relationship is based on commercials, on money, and I think both you and I have seen this probably and unfortunately in an increasingly kind of more frequent manner briefs that come in or RFPs that come in that promise a huge payout that ultimately result in a fraction of that budget under the guise of, well, let's test out some of your thinking and then we'll never take a test. Yeah. So if you're, if you're a brand and that's what you're thinking, shame on you. Um, And also (laughs) this is, you know, besides being bad manners, it's also just, it's not efficient because what you're trying to do is um, get the best people you can onto your business because agencies are what they're people at the end of the day. It's a people, sir. It's a, it's, it's a business built on people servicing you with their thinking. If the money isn't there, the agency can't put their best people or enough of their best people to solve your problems. And so what you're, what you'll end up with is still all the problems that you started with, but now also an increased overhead because now you also have to pay the agency for something that they can't actually help you resolve. So if the goal for you is to, solve your problems and you need an agency to come in and help you do that, then let them do that by paying them um, the thing that you promised them. Yeah. I I think it's, it's a really interesting point you bring up of like hiding the true value because everyone wants to dangle that like big carrot in front of an agency so they can get the bigger or the bestest agencies because they know that they only go after big budgets. But that's not that's not the case if you're if you're trying to hide the fact that you have a smaller budget with an agency that's expecting a bigger budget you're going to be at the bottom of a of a the totem pole at at that agency because you will have yep. the lowest budget and you're going to get not the bestest people at the bestest agency it's much better for you and more efficient if you are open and honest with the budget you've got find an agency that matches that because of that budget at a smaller agency will be much more meaningful to them and they're much more likely to try and put the best people that they've got and a small agency doesn't mean bad people it just means they are growing or they're you know they've got really smart people who have started this new agency who need or to they're focused or, or they're just or they're focused, focused. On the specific, yeah. yeah they're just focused on the specific thing and it's, i think it's especially true for creative agencies and we've discussed this before where you might have a collective of really inspired sharp creatives who can do incredible work, but they're just focused and they don't work in some sprawling conglomerate of an agency, right? 
Some yeah. clients, some brands, if you're a PNG, you need a big agency with global capabilities. But if you're a smaller brand or if you're a brand with just smaller budgets for an agency or a particular need, yeah, then don't go chasing, you know, the top 1% of the agencies in terms of size. Look for quality in a smaller agency. And that's uh, that's there. That's definitely there. It's de- I mean, it, it really is. It's there in abundance, as we, as we mentioned in the last episode, when there are so in, many agencies in, in, right now. Increasing abundance. An increasing abundance of agencies. Um, so so uh, yeah, l- like l- l- let's 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 talk about interme- intermediaries because that I think this one is and like the, the whole procurement process. I think it's you, you call them the middle people. Uh, I middle think people. This is the yeah. thing. That, the middle people drive me nuts because. And by the way, I think this was a, a phenomenon that I first observed in the UK, where this kind of you know, value destruction <laughs> is really prevalent, yeah. but I think it's been migrating over to the U.S. because uh, it's increasingly more and more common to see middle people insert themselves into this kind of agency brand dating process. Yeah, well, let's define it, Gorsha. What What is the difference between an intermediary or what's the definition of and, and procurement? Well, the intermediaries are, um, so how they position themselves is people who know the agency landscape and who, um, so, you know, who essentially go and find agencies to participate in a pitch process for a particular brand. Um, and there are several of them that are, um, that are pretty well known. Um, and, uh, you know, as a, as a brand, you might be not as aware of all the different agencies out there. So you really, you, you hire an intermediary to come and bring the agency's best task uh, to work on your brief. So that's, that's an intermediary. Um, and then procurement is basically your finance team, you know, your CFO inside the brand who signs off on the, you know, on the essentially on the investment uh, to bring an agency forward. Now, hopefully procurement would have signed off on this prior to you going to the pitch and won't have a lot of uh, say when, you know, when you're making your decision. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we see increasingly that procurement is playing a more active role, but we'll get to that. So, so, and it, so intermediaries, um, they're kind of like the casting agent. You, you don't know everyone out there. They're supposed right. to have the subject matter expertise, knowledge of the agencies that will suit you as a brand in particular, um, yeah. know the agency strengths and weaknesses, and ability to manage a process to basically like a real estate agent. They know the housing market. Yep. They know where the you know they they can they bring can, you. They, they connect. They connect demand with the supply. Yeah. Uh, so that's in hypotheticals. What actually what actually happens, or what has been your experience um, with uh, with intermediaries? Well, I think you probably have uh, some of the same stories, but also maybe different ones as well. And I think that's that's true of any intermediary. Um, it is. It does not play out this way. Um, first of all, I think intermediaries, um, their financial incentives are somewhat, you know, misaligned. Um, but it's a it's a game of favorites. Um, I think intermediaries uh, act um, based on who their favorites are in their in their network of contacts. And while they purport to run neutral pitches and help brands um, kind of see the full the full landscape of uh, agencies, I think what we see and uh, happening is that. They're clear favorites who uh, move to the top, and there are some some agencies and some people who are shut out from the process entirely or are deprioritized in the process. Um, I think intermediaries also uh, aren't the experts often uh, in the increasingly complex um, 
process of, 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 of offering the services that agencies offer. Whereas before it was creative and then like above the line media, which was like TV print out of home, right? Now yeah. it's programmatic and it's, you know, it's a lot of technology and it's a lot of data. And um, people who are employed by these intermediary groups, I think struggle as much as anyone else to understand the complexity of this stuff and therefore rely on some out, really outdated thinking to judge um, who is or isn't um, competent in this. And we've seen this firsthand where um, agencies that were not great at um, particular things uh, that were maybe more more involved from a technology standpoint were still being put in front of the line, whereas agencies that were absolutely specialized and, um, and highly experienced in that particular thing were being deprioritized because they were smaller, because they were less yep. known. But guess what? All mm -hmm. the new things out there um, are kind of like the domains of the smaller or less known agencies because they've grown up with that thing. So, um, yeah, my, my, my experience with intermediaries has been um, that they don't add a lot of value, um, even though they, they say that they do. But what has yours been? I think I think for me, you know, and this is generalizing, I've had some very good experiences, but I'm going to focus on the bad experiences. I think you can learn more from that and then we'll touch on the good ones. But I feel like they don't, like you said, they don't understand what agencies do. And I've, I've responded to, you know, what I've seen is an intermediary will blast 20, 20 agencies and say, I need to you to fill out this fact sheet by tomorrow. Um, and it's the classic, you know, who are you? Where are you? How big you are? What do you specialize in? Um, the questions usually when it came to digital were very badly worded where they weren't asking the right questions and you had to like, reverse engineer an answer that answered the questions but actually gave them the information that you needed and they are uh and i think where the most frustration is that they're a gatekeeper to the client um and, I, and going back to our first point like building that chemistry how are you supposed to build chemistry with an agency right. or vice versa when you've got someone who's there where they think they're adding the value to the process is by keeping the clients protected from all the agency nonsense and there's some truth in that. You don't want have like as a as a client or a brand, you don't want to have to manage so many people. But then don't ask so many people at the beginning to to get invited to this to the pitch process. Be selective. Invite three agencies and immediately go through that through the the cull phase off the bat on your own. But the intermediaries put up this barrier. You basically don't get to build any chemistry outside of the maybe four hours that you'll meet with the client over a four week period and you know you don't get to have that build up of you know chemistry between email exchanges or text messages or phone calls or clarifying this question on that and they also like you said they anonymize all the questions they put everything into spreadsheets to try and create fairness and you basically are a you know you're running a blind horse in a race because you don't know you don't know what they're thinking and they and I think intermediaries don't know enough about the brand or the agencies to really add that much value. They they don't sit in the product meetings or the commercial commercial meetings at the at the brand side to really understand what it is that they need. Yeah, I uh, I I have to. Um, I'm, I'm recalling an episode of uh, when I first dealt with intermediaries, and uh, I, like I said, it was in the UK where I first came in contact with them. Um, we um, we were involved in a pitch for. Um, I won't mention the client, but um, it's it's an airline based in the UK that kind of sounds similar to English Airlines, and uh, they hired an agency, uh, or they hired um, they they hired um, 
<laughs> they hired um, an intermediary called Ubiquity to um, uh, to manage this this process, and they were looking for large agencies. What really blew my mind was um, how they defined the steps where you actually got into contact with the client and had direct um, kind of direct time with them. There was an official chemistry session um, where it was almost like it was almost like a pilot episode of a of a of a of a series where like you you kind of presented the things you were thinking about presenting in the in the real pitch and they were like yes we like it no we don't like it and that was that it wasn't really a chemistry session it was like hey here's who we are and that's what, what we're kind of thinking about and then everything got uh, anonymized like you said and uh, everything was managed through a portal where you had to submit your questions and they were sort of managed by the by the by this uh, intermediary and then you had the pitch you saw you saw the people you were going to potentially have a relationship over a peer, number of years with hundreds of millions of pounds being spent. You saw them twice. You had a chemistry session, and then it's it's kind of like if you go on a like if, if you're looking to find a partner um, to marry, it's like you go on the first date, and then you're supposed to marry them. Yep. Yep. That's what this I mean, is. It, it, going going back to the house house example, I think it'd be the equivalent of your estate agent showing you one picture from each house not telling you which houses they are or where they are um and then he'll give you or she will give you a zoom tour around the house and you're not allowed to go look at it and you're not like to spend time in it and it's like then you got to at the end of it you got to make a decision based on the one picture you saw uh and a and a video call and well, in, 20, like, in 2021, I think that's how people have been buying houses, to be honest. Well, I, so. Yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe it's a bad example, but the principle, the principle is the same. <laughs> but no, it, no it's, a, it's, 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 it's a good example. It's a bad practice. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, though, is if you're thinking about using um, an intermediary, if you're a brand, and you will only do this if you're a large brand, but think about this. There are five big holding companies that own all the agencies, right? WPP, Denso, IPG, Omnicom, and Publicis. And the way they've structured themselves is that you can't even approach their agencies directly. You have to go into yep. the holding company and they decide, like, you can do that yourself. Like, their yep. email, like, what is the intermediary going to do? Like, they, they're not going to go sift through the haystack of agencies this holding companies have. Their only way in is to go to whoever handles the holding company level kind of gatekeeping operations. So I'm pretty sure you yourself. can't even get the agency now. I think you just get a, an amalgamation of people within the holding company and then you know and I, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because what you're getting is a specialist uh across all of the different channels that you need who are the best at doing what you do as a brand so i think in that sense you're getting the best of the best um you know regardless of you know before when it was like three densu agencies competing against each other or three wpp agencies competing against each right. other and yeah, they, i mean you know, they, they prevent value and, destruction that way yeah and and you wanted to have like someone from this place and someone from this place and now you can have that which i think so i think that in itself is is really good but what you said is you don't need to have to manage 20 agencies you need to manage three different holding companies and and they'll get you they'll get, they'll get you what you need um right it's i'm like gonna a, pivot it's to like a supermarket yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i don't know if that's a good thing or not um support local um Go so shifting to procurement. So let's say you've got through the pitch and you've managed yep. to win. Now procurement gets involved. We're seeing this increasingly more. You're not dealing with your brand manager, the, the people that you've built up a relationship. Procurement now step in and they're like, I'm numbers. 
I'm the numbers person and I'm not going to say again the brand but I got to the end of a of a SOW negotiation I'd presented um the what we're doing here are the numbers here's how much it costs here are the people here's what we're doing here's why we need these people to do these very specific things which are complicated here and less complicated there and the first thing that they said was can I have a discount and there was no there was I felt like they weren't sure what we were doing and their whole adding value was to reduce the cost and i feel like when you work with the brand managers or the cmos like they get it they get what you're trying to do to help what they're trying to achieve so you get that value exchange of i'm going to pay this much money but i'm going to get this value from the agency that helps me achieve my goals and i feel like procurement because they're not marketing people they're not at the end of the day responsible for the for hitting the goals that the agency are being brought on to do they have to look at the numbers because that's what they are you know that's what they do day in day out and they go how can i make this cheaper and you know i'm not sure i mean and and that's a really easy way for procurement to add value but i think what you know in my head you know agency side agency brain is procurement's there to they've made a decision how can they onboard you uh, and make sure you're within budget and I think as long as you're within budget and the brand and CMO and whoever else have approved it, then you're facilitating the onboarding and the, the SOW negotiations and the MSA, not driving down the price to as cheap as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I think unfortunately it's gotten so bad with uh, with this kind of practice that agencies pad uh, knowing that they're going to have to discount and now... Uh, procurement has to negotiate like this because they know that otherwise they're buying a lot of fat that might not need to be there. And this is it's not just this because... is not a bizarre. You're not haggling over a rug here. This is not. Yeah, but like I, I, I think I think that's that's the situation where both parties are are at fault, and uh, this is where trust. Uh, you know, we come to the issue of trust. You know, uh, I think, I, I think agencies for a long time have operated in such a black box um, kind of financial model that and it's spilled out over the last few years um in such a way that um as procurement evaluates you know they, they're keeping this in mind and they just don't want to overpay and so even in instances where the price is fair how would you know how would you know that the price is fair it's 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 impossible you know unless you have experience with hiring and letting go of other agencies but i think the worst people who, again like i go to your old homeland um there's a practice in the uk called the reverse auction where um agencies on the shortlist submit their bids but it's the lowest bid that wins and that's a, it's a blind uh, it's a blind auction and like you know and and it just forces people to participate with kind of the worst outcome in mind so it was uh, initially put in by the UK government but i think quickly adopted by wiley um uh, brands I mean, as well i i mean there's there is something to say for getting the cheapest thing possible and i think if that's what you want if that's what if you need to get someone in and you don't want to pay any money for it, then be upfront about it. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, pay peanuts, get monkeys. But you if you if you are focused purely on on that, go find the cheapest agencies that's gonna do the highest volume. It's probably not gonna be very good. But you're gonna get the volume and you're gonna pay the 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 cost that you want to pay. So, you know, I think I mean we've pitched and I'm sure Every anyone who in an agency is pitched, they've been the best agency, and then they get the phone call, which is, 
you know, unfortunately, you know, we came down to price and you guys were too expensive and we had to go with someone else. And you know that someone else has undercut you by 20% because they want it, they're desperate for it, and agencies will give away stuff so they for, for the promise of additional revenue down the line. And I think yeah. until agencies respect each other enough to not give away their services for, you know, discounted prices when you know that it's going to cost them more to run the business than what they're getting paid, then then it's going to happen. It's going to keep happening. Fun fact, agencies, Fun brands fact. used to pay agency, brands used to pay agencies for pitches through like the 1970s. Yeah. I think, I think when you pay for something, you respect it more. Um, okay. Uh, next question. Next topic. Um, in terms of, Everything about the pitch uh, seems to have like a Jekyll and Hyde type of uh, thing to it. When, when it comes to timing or time involved, it seems like everything is last minute. Everything is super rushed. And at the same time, it takes like three months. Yeah. So like, let's talk about how to approach the pitch from a timing standpoint and how to do it right and like how not to do it poorly. What are your top tips? What are your kind of, from your experience, your takeaways? I, I think if you can if you can condense it down to enough time to get enough good thinking done, but not so much time that you can spend hours and hours and hours noodling and developing and noodling and developing and like you, you get you get you'll get the time I mean, if you've structured this correctly and you're not trying to onboard an agency two months before you're supposed to go live with a holiday campaign then you're going to have the time to do all of that in-depth thinking whilst paying the agency and getting better work you know give them enough time to do good thinking give them a very a, a upfront schedule of this is going to happen in these in these ways in these times if they accept the timings great and if they don't great they're not you know that's that's totally fine but i think don't make it a sixth month drawn out process where you've got rounds and rounds and rounds of meetings with different people at different stages and then you know have everything done up front then wait two months to make a decision because you've got to then take it through the entire company and then you know have an email saying thanks but you didn't win so i think for me it's like make it you know a, a, a short sprint but give the agencies enough time to think about it um and yeah. give you a give you a decent answer where they're not yeah, wasting time yeah, don't don't make your ask. Uh, going back to the beginning of our um, uh, show, don't make your ask so expansive and complex. Uh, you're trying to get the best thinking. The you're trying to see the demonstration of the best thinking, the thought process, and the, how the partnership will will be structured, uh, rather than getting all the answers to all the questions you will ever have to an agency. So I fully agree yeah. with you. Um, and keep you know, as a brand too, uh, we've seen this uh, you and I quite a few times. Um, the people running the pitch may lose internal support for that pitch if they drag this out for too long and then the budget disappears. Uh, you're, yeah. You have your own kind of dynamics playing out inside your company. Don't assume that the green light you currently have to onboard an agency is going to be there forever. So keep it focused, bring that agency in, um, You know, start doing good work rather than having this never ending dating game. Never, I mean, it's like an interview process. Like you don't need nine interviews to establish whether someone is good or not you know have you know if you want to do nine interviews then have it over a week not one interview a week for nine weeks because they're gonna get other interviews and they're gonna get a better offer or an offer 
and they'll say thanks see you later you know if you can get someone in evaluate them over one week and go from first interview to offer within a week because they've met six people over three days that's better isn't it isn't it you've you haven't wasted a lot of time they haven't wasted a lot of time you both feel mutual about the experience yeah no i totally agree um so when it comes to making the decision what are you making your decision on mr cmo uh i'm i'm making the decision on um how how have i enjoyed working with them throughout the process um because i've put in the effort to meet them halfway uh against sort of what we're trying to do we've been and i've been very clear about what we're trying to achieve uh i'm not making a decision purely based on did they give me the correct answer in the pitch uh i'm making a decision on have i enjoyed working with them how do i think how they think is right for our brand and do i think what they think is going to uh achieve the goals that we need to internally there is an element of of budget involved if the brand that you like has come back with a fee and a production budget that's way over what you've got negotiate with them and say we you know we were up front with you we have two million dollars for fee and production to hit x many things and they're like you just can't do that and someone else can you know then you need to figure out who's lying in terms of their in terms of their commercials but you're not looking at the final answer you're looking at um how, how they've worked it out and whether you enjoy working it out with them and can you afford them for their from their fee because you haven't because you're not trying to onboard the bestest agency yeah i i also kind of i i, I think so agencies uh and brands there's a lot of cross-pollination people go from agencies to brands and from you know less often from brands to agencies but um i think it's okay that uh you might want to prioritize an agency where you know people uh and you yeah. have uh, a good connection f- uh, with them from your prior working experience i think sometimes um i've seen um uh, people that I've worked with cross over to the brand side, then that brand puts up their business for a pitch. Um, you know, we would have participated and it's kind of this weird dynamic where like they, you know, the people on those people that I knew or we knew from, um, from our previous kind of relationship together kind of get a little shy about, um, giving you the preference. It's okay. It's, it's a real, like if the work is good and I think it, it, you need to kind of trust that, you know, that you've made the best judgment of the work, then why wouldn't you go with someone that you know, and especially if you have a good relationship with them, it's a human business. It's a human to human business. And you want someone who uh, knows you, who can be upfront with you and who you can be upfront with as well. It takes time to develop a relationship with any any partner. Um, And so if you have a shortcut into that, uh, by all means, don't feel bad about it. I would say go for it and prioritize that over and above um, some of the other things. And even if it means uh, hiring someone who is a little bit more expensive, but you have that connection there, I think that's the right thing to, to think about and yeah. uh, and advocate for that with your colleagues because um, they I think they will appreciate the reason. I think, yeah, I mean, a, a, a referral for a hire is, is always better than someone coming in. No, not always, but if you have someone else's, if someone, you know someone and you think they're going to be good, that's people are always going to trust you because that's how we work. Um, that's how humans are. And, you know, if you've worked with someone and you trust them and the work that they're going to produce is right for your brand, like not everyone you work with is going to be right and they're going to do it there, then why not? Um, I'm going to flip it around from an, ag- from an agency. When you're looking to pitch, 
what are the things you're looking for that makes a good that makes a good client? Well, I think number one is um, can you solve the problems that they're asking you to solve, right? I think that there's sometimes this misalignment of um, what the client needs versus what you can deliver, and you never want to you never want to bluff your way into winning something that you can't deliver. I'm just gonna you're just gonna suck. Um, I think all, some of the same things we've talked about chemistry. Um, alignment on goals uh so like some of those red flags we talked about um earlier is the team is the brand team aligned on what they want out of a relationship with you and like is their you know is their brief uh tight around those needs um and i think transparency you know i'm i'm i would i if i'm an agency um you know, business kind of business lead, new business lead, I would be looking for transparency. Is the brand being uh, upfront? Are they uh, living up to all the things they said that the pitch process is going to entail? Um, let's not make money an uncomfortable conversation. Let's make it a comfortable conversation right up front because we all, we're all grown up, so we understand that, it's, that money, is, um, money is going to be one of the deciding factors. Um, those are things that I would look for. Um, I don't think it's rocket science. You know, do you like the people? You know, do we have the right people to match your people? Those are those are those are the types of things. Don't don't lie. Don't bluff. Don't say that you are someone you're not. I think that's agencies desperate for revenue get into that bad habit and uh, then fall short because they have to somehow, you know, find an answer to the question uh, that they have no clue about. Not a good look. Good, good advice. Very good advice. I like that a lot. I, I, I would like to kind of just uh, end this with uh, saying I, I'd love to hear your kind of view, but um, I think there's been a trend over the last decade of um, brands saying we don't need agencies, we're going to in-house. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and part of that is being driven by um, obviously like platforms and the ability to buy media and kind of do things uh, yourself, but a lot of it is being driven by like this lack of trust that we've touched on and kind of this belief that agencies don't add value. Um, I think agencies add value. Um, I think when yes. done right, when the pitch is done, when you run a good pitch, when you know what you're looking for, when you have a problem that you can't solve, but there's an agency out there that can solve it for you, it can be an incredibly, incredibly beautiful partnership. Nothing gives me more of like a tingle in my spine than seeing incredible work come out of a great um, you know, partnership and relationship between a brand who briefed in that need and an agency who understood it felt it, you know, and then kind of gave you this beautiful thing. Um, and that can be true for both creative and media. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think agency agencies are incredibly valuable, but I think oftentimes we hear the, you know, the bad stories or the horror stories because of all the things that we kind of highlighted that can go wrong or do go wrong in the pitch process. And, um, hopefully this, what we've talked about will help, um, at least guide some of the brands in choosing a better, um, a relationship with their agencies. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's absolutely right. I think there are yes, there are a lot of bad agencies who who don't add value, but I think if if you know what you need or you know you know the problem and you can articulate that in a way, agencies absolutely can help. That's that's why they are still that's why they still exist. If they really didn't, they wouldn't exist. I feel like you know, in housing has its advantages and it depends on who you are and what you're doing, but the rise in the mobile app and the the kind of i mean that i mean we really saw it very much since 2017 until now of like real serious in-housing like every app or every startup now you know hires a, a cfo 
hires a CMO that then builds an in-house team because you can set up social ads that'll start generating revenue immediately and you don't need necessarily need an agency but i think you know and that but that's a very different problem because and as as almost everyone has seen the startups as soon as they want to show that they're real they buy a billboard they make a tv ad so they go all all of the things that we thought don't exist anymore they now go out and do and do those things they make a brand ad they put it on tv they put it in billboards they try and establish themselves as a brand so you know in housing has its advantages especially when you're looking at data and you're moving data around very very fast um but out how you know agencies outhousing i guess uh you get different thinking you get more expansive thinking they're more generally more connected to the platforms than you'll ever be because they've got the combined spend of you know a whole holding company and they'll get you better rates if you're talking about money they'll also get you better thinking because they've worked on multiple different things they've seen multiple different problems that you know can all be applied to you so you know think very very carefully before you immediately in-house something because it may be right it may be wrong but think about it properly before you it's not it's it's not it's it's not panacea that's for sure yeah well great conversation um great conversation Hopefully our listeners found this uh, useful and uh, I look forward to discussing uh, other aspects of a client agency relationship with you in our future. Yes, definitely.